So the world is shape-shifting. Um, if you look at studies done by BCG and Bain, they looked at volatility indexes. If you just look at quantify volatility, this index is growing steadily. So it's a matter of survival. Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Wermut and joining me as always, my two co-hosts, Jonathan Edwards and Scott Burleson. Today, we talk about one of those shiny words in business that many talk about yet few really understand. And that word is scaling. So many businesses are looking for business models that can scale yet very few succeed. Today is all about scaling a new business building with our guest, Frank Mattes and his approach and also the company called Lean Scale Up. But before we jump in, let me just say that I'm, it's always inspi inspiring to talk to Frank. And I'm talking from experience here. He's a great guy to work with and think with. So he brings the experience, the thoughtfulness, and the energy and momentum to make great things happen. All in one person. So Frank, welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thanks for having me, um, Scott, Jan, and Jonathan. Well, let's jump in. So for those of you who, who don't know you, like who is Frank Metis? Oh, I can speak about a couple of years on that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably would not be good enough. So to make a long story short, I've spent more than two decades now in what they call these days innovation. When I started off, they had the, the term was non-existent back then. They called it new product development. And so I went through what, what that means in practice. I started off with innovation is a project and you assemble the team members and came up with the project plan. Then later on, in, when I was with the Boston Consulting Group, we had those wallpapers, 250 steps in new product development, take all the risks. And we went into portfolio management. Some around 2010 or so, I got interested in the more out-of-the-box thing, right? The open innovation was the buzzword of the day. And then some five years ago, I noticed that there is a big um, unsolved question in corporate innovation, which is how can we turn these uh, fancy, great, game-changing ideas into cold hard cash and into yeah. corporate transformation and at that time five years ago there was nothing out there Jan uh, how, how do we do that there was no um, uh, blueprint no recipe no kind of framework etc and so what I did and this is where the uh, story of the lean scale up begins I assembled a group of some 20 companies a couple of leading uh, global business schools and we uh, put our heads together, the wisdom of the crowd, if you will, and try to understand why is it so hard for corporates to break out of the mold, if you will, to build new businesses in parallel to the existing business. And here we are some five years later, uh, there's a book out there, there's a huge community out there that uh, is adopting that kind of framework. Um, there are some 40 or 50 companies that took up bits and pieces of that framework and uh, we're making good progress and we're on the way to help the corporate practitioners solve that big problem for their respective companies. Yeah. So it's it's a book I can really recommend. So I, and I, by the way, I love how you kind of approach this, just as the, the collaborative approach that you bring to your 
books, I should say. So there is a second one that you're working on right now and we'll get into all of the nice little details. But I just love the approach of bringing the people together. I think there is a kind of a list of 40 to 50 authors in the end that really kind of helped or supported in writing the whole whole approach in the book. And I mean, if anything is customer focused, then co-creation, right? So I really like this about how you how you develop this. And the book is Lean Scale-Up, just to mention. The book is Lean Scale-Up, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Coming out, I'm not sure on the subtitle, the second or revised and extended edition or the 2023 edition with the intention of coming up with a yearly update and uh, absorbing the best practices and the case studies that show the practitioners how to crack the code in in there. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, actually, it's 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 more than one hundred now on the co-author list. Oh, wow, one hundred, some 70, 80 practitioners, and then uh, some twenty or so folks from academia. Um, you, you know, one thing that I learned when I was uh, in pre-lean scale-up but still open innovation times is ninety-nine percent of the smart people don't work for your company. There's a lot, (laughs) lot of smart people out there, right? And uh, it's about making the distinctions or it's about finding the words that resonate, that ring a bell, right? And this is where the the interaction and the co-creation comes into play. Yeah, this is, I remember so well the first time I heard you speak and just, I mean, just the name Lean Scale Up is is like, if it immediately catches and I think it, you immediately latch on and you see the problem behind it and you see why that approach is needed. So I I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of this is really about the words and then we'll get into a couple of beautiful words later on. But can you just give kind of a, a glimpse of what is the what is lean scale up? What is it that you do? What is the approach? Just so we have a kind of a general overview of, of the process. Mm-hmm. What what we found out some five years ago and we got the confirmation all along the way and more distinctions and a better language along the way is that the root cause why it is so hard for companies to build new businesses in parallel to the existing one is a system problem right under one corporate roof you have two systems the one system is designed to execute a proven business model right today's day-to-day business you've got your customers and the value proposition and the products and the services that deliver that value proposition. You have your channels to reach the customers. Unfortunately, unfortunately, your usual suspects, your competitors have the same ideas. Right? So <laughs> battling with them on, on, yeah. on the revenues and margins in here. And uh, this, this is a system that has been fine-tuned for decades, right? And obviously they're companies out there that are more than 100, 200 years old, they're finely tuned and, 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 and polished that uh, approach that they have in here. They've got the processes. They've got the uh, IT systems. They know how to run the show, the um, um, work together, collaborate, and, and run these processes. And know you stick to the rules if you want to have success in that. And you look for that quarterly and annual um, uh, figures that you need to meet in there. And um, um, you you um, basically keep on repeating that same old success recipe. That's the one system. The other system is the search for new value pools the search for a new business model that you can build to seize and capture the value in here and 
um, as uh, some people had called them, uh, the blue oceans, right, where there's initially at least little competition in here, and hence you can grow like crazy and you can um, um, uh, really um, 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 build new businesses, new revenue streams, and also corporate transformation. If you think about, for instance, one of my clients, BP, transforming from an oil and gas company to an energy company in 10 years or so, right? So this is what you do. And uh, in that second system, you think long-term, you think agile, build, test, measure, learn, repeat, right? You think about um, 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 exploring the unknown and, and the way to 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 um, um, reduce the uncertainty with a scientific approach, saying these are our hypotheses, this is what we want to test, and uh, this is what came out of the test, and hence we conclude and move forward. The whole idea of an experiment you cannot find in the first system that I mentioned, right? They don't know the word, they execute it. And so we find that these two systems, uh, they belong together. Uh, They future-proof the company, if you will, in the now, but also in the new, right? That the... um, the um, yeah. explorers want want to find in here, but but I hope the points and there are many more to make that I mentioned make it clear that these two systems are not compatible. Yeah. So yeah. if your ambition is to fu- future proof the company, right, to win the now, but also to create uh, the new and to win in the new that you're building, well, you need to find a way to make these two systems work together. By default, the day-to-day business will always win, right? Because this yeah. is the home turf of the people that work in here. They know how to run the show. And this is where you get the successes, at least the short-term successes, right? So yeah. how do you balance that two stuff? And it turns out, and I'm uh, <laughs> turning around the accordion, I know that it was long speech, turns out <laughs> that you need to a, a system solution to connect these two systems. And this system solution consists of three cogwheels, if you will. The one is leadership. The second one is methodology and process. And the third one is people, culture, collaboration, right? And if you take it um, and the uh, essential aspects from these cogwheels, you can actually make these two systems talk together, work together in a productive way, and hence balance now and new and future-proof the company. Yeah. So maybe just to clarify, so it's it's the the three cogwheels are so for, for it's culture, method, and 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 leadership. leadership. Is that correct. Leadership. So these three things have to be balanced. I also like how you emphasize, and maybe we should go into that a little bit. If you, that you emphasize that it's it's a system, so it's really aimed. Also, is that fair to say that the approach that you have, so lean scale up, is aimed at corporate? So how can you basically do scale up as a corporate or in a corporate context? And kind of a startup would be a different story, or 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 how how do you see this? Perfectly right. Uh, I mean, if you're a greenfield startup, as I like to call them, right, uh, three of us or the four of us getting together have a brilliant idea, and then we find a VC that backs up, and off we go for the yeah. races, right? Um, you can uh, all, almost get by with some qualifications, with some new ideas on the lean startup, and some additional. Uh, concepts like growth hacking and, um, and that kind of stuff. And obviously there's a lot of theory 
um, that um, was developed in the last year or, or two years or so on how to get the product right, right, which is an art in itself. Uh, the way that I see it, Jan, is if you look at the stats from CB Insights, for instance, right, um, the reasons why startups fail, right, and they they, uh, they did not find product market fit, they ran out of money, and, and, and uh, the timing was not right, etc., that kind of stuff. You can check this for greenfield startups, you can check it as well for corporate startups, but Corporate startups have an additional complexity, right? It's not just a financial play, right? You know, may know that stories from, from Twitter, for instance, or Slack that originally were designed for different purposes. And then they found something that caught their interest in and pivoted and uh, yeah. made, made a huge success. That's not how corporate innovation uh, works right in corporate innovation you always have also have uh, to have a kind of strategic component to that right you're doing innovation because you want to have that kind of transformational play etc in here yeah so um i would say um uh, the lean uh, scale up was explicitly designed for that corporate context if you're a greenfield startup well you there's a couple of things that you can learn from it, but I would recommend if you're a greenfield startup, you rather go for that lean startup kind of school in here with some additional uh, elements on that. Yeah, yeah. It's I really like this kind of the 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 targeted way of your approach, and there is a couple of really additional challenges in the corporate context. You named them, so the balancing of of now and new, and 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 just well, just. Corporates are more process-oriented beasts and more more established kinds of things, so you have to manage that as well. I would love to go into a little bit these cogwheels, so leadership method and, and 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 culture. So how what 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 behind it is it, or or what are these leadership uh, method and culture kind of things? Lean how do, how would you do a leadership in the lean scale up way, or what what would that entail? Mm -hmm. So I mean, um, obviously there's there's a lot of stuff in here and and. Some of the stuff qualifies for for particular industries more than it does for others, and the size um, of the company and and then its position in the industry, all these all play a role in here. But um, see what what will um, come out of the second book is to say, well, if you want to be excellent in uh, building new businesses on the side of existing ones, there are twelve success factors, right? And uh, we will um, um, uh, highlight these 12 success factors with um, extensive case studies. So there are half a dozen or so case studies in here that basically provide the um, proof points, if you will, that these are the relevant factors. Now, if we start with leadership, all of these three, the leadership, the process methodology, and the cultural people collaboration piece, they have four major aspects right in here. So if we start with uh, leadership, um, I would say it's leadership jump, uh, job number one to future-proof the company, right? To win the now, but also make sure that the company will still be around in five or 10 years and will still be successful then. So yeah. one of the first things that um, I would uh, re uh, that uh, I see as a um, um, crucial success factor in winning that new business building game is the ambition for the new and the alignment more on the formal side uh, in, in, in here uh, of the now and the new. 
So ambition means obviously you, you are you are a leader, your C-suite members that is not simply uh, satisfied with the way things are, right? Because you think out of the box, you think five years or ten years into the future, right? Yeah. They, it depends obviously on the, on the clock speed of the industry that you're working in. So if you're for instance, in the energy business, if you're a company like BP, there's a huge trends, mega trends, decarbonization, net zero, you know that stuff, Jan, right? Uh, so, so obviously the ambition is there. Um, if you're in the automotive industry, switching to mobility and uh, people don't buy cars anymore, they rent mobility and that kind of stuff. Uh, if you do not have the ambition for the new, you're on the wrong place there, right? <laughs> you have but, an issue in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 there are some industries where you have rather a slow yeah. clock speed, right? So it might be different there, right? But then we come already to the the first breakpoint, if you will, the aligning of of of, of the now and the new, and this um, at, at the core is is a is a problem of resource allocation, right? And it's not just the monetary resources that you allocate. Um, yeah. Let me put it bluntly: in most situations, money is not the real problem, right? Because there's so much also venture capital yeah. blowing around that at the end of the day you can basically partner with these kind of companies to fund the, what what you think would be a game changer in here. The real problems in many cases is people, right? Because the experts, the the, the go to people, etc., they can either do the job in their existing business, right? Or they can play a part in creating this new stuff in here. Yeah. When, when you embark on the journey, you then run into the problem. How do you basically manage two um, companies, let's put it that way, an established company where 99% of the people work in, right, delivering the day-to-day -day business, and you have 1% creating the new, et cetera. And uh, it turns out that these two companies under one roof, they have different performance management systems, right? On the one side, the day-to-day -day business, you have clear-cut um, 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 second decimal kind of controlling procedures, yeah. whereas on the other side, you These have... These market share gains of zero point, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And and uh, EBITDA and EBITDA2 and and, and all yeah. these kind of constructs that simply do not make sense in emerging business opportunity. And then obviously there's one more thing to that, which is the one company mindset, as I as I say. There's a famous story of Kodak. I guess every innovator knows that, but there's a lesser known story about Fujifilm. And Fujifilm, same business, same company size, if you measure it on a global um um, global um, market share, same challenge. Well, the one company went bankrupt. The other one is now worth 20 times more than Kodak. Why? Because it learned uh, how to build new businesses, right? And uh, um, the when you follow the story, and I did the research for the upcoming book, the CEO was so much into making taking the people along, which Kodak did not manage. That's that's the deeper reason why they failed, right? Mm -hmm. They said it's a one company that that we're having today's company and what we are 
creating for tomorrow. We are not quite sure what we're creating. We don't have the identity. But here's the trick. We're not in the film business. We're in the surface chemistry business. And let's leverage the technologies that we have to create those new businesses, right? So it's also that that aspect. It's one company. And there's a lot of conversation. This is not just five slides. This is tons of conversations and basically what I call the soul of the company, right? Whereas the alignment is more the formal part that you need to arrange. Yeah. And I mean, that's something we we experience quite often. Well, not the one company, but rather the, I don't know, multiple company (laughs) or where you even have kind of incentive systems within the company and, 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 and they work in different ways and they're not, they're not, well, Maybe a question here, kind of a follow-up question. How, I mean, you need kind of, to, leadership needs to kind of formulate a kind of vision to get where, where they want to go to. Or is it also okay to say, hey, we just want to start the transformation. We don't know exactly where it's going. So how clear does need, leadership need to be in order to, to take the people, people along? As clear as possible, I would say, Jan, but but the the experience from um, Mr. Komori, that was his name, uh, from uh, Fujifilm shows, it might not be very clear in the beginning. Right? Yeah. So you have that general idea, let's use the technology uh, that we master in, in surface chemistry, and you need that in cosmetics industry, you need that uh, as well as if you think about... Um, uh, packaging for electronic materials and all the other businesses that, that they build, right? So how do you um, 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 construct a vision in here, right? So, I, I mean, the way that this role model for for, for, for new business building was uh, went was to say, well, we define ourselves by our core competences, But then again, you also need to think about what are the capabilities, the new competences that you need to build. For instance, one of my clients is a medtech company, right? They used to sell um, MRT scanners to hospitals. And now they've got the idea that they want to basically um, um, uh, come up with a diagnostics as a business, quote, unquote, um, diagnostics as a service business. Sorry about that. So you uh, get the patients into the MRT scanner, you get the images, then you have clever AI that analyzes the images and um, prescribes a therapy right, for, for, for that patient. Well, it turns out if you want to build uh, such a business, there's a lot of things that you need to learn that differs from shipping boxes, right? The MRT scanners in the past, <laughs> right? It's a service yeah. culture. It's how to set and manage service levels, how to invoice uh, that kind of stuff, how to make yourself attractive for top talent, how do you win the mainstream customers? Right? The first customer is usually not the problem. The 10th the, uh, customer or the 100th customer, that's the problem. Yeah. So and yeah. this is the kind of the mix that you need to build, right? How do we define ourselves from these uh, core capabilities and what are the things that we need to learn because, uh, as Jeff Bezos said, if you define yourself only by the core competences, if you limit yourself, well, you do not have a right to exist if the um, world changes, the VUCA stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. This, this, what you're talking about and the, um, the Fuji story you, you, you told us um, reminds me a lot of um, Saras Sarasvati's effectuation theory. Um, about how 
where she describes the entrepreneurial way of making decisions where basically you're always trying to figure out what's the next best step. And instead of setting a goal and trying to reach it, you start with where you are currently now, what you have, what your strengths are, et cetera. And think about where, what can you possibly do? What are the potentialities that are available to you starting from your current position. And it's a, I think that's quite, it just reminded me of that when you you talked about um, Fuji. I don't don't know if if you aware of this, uh, this theory or if you think it, yeah. Yes. Yes. I am two, two, two points on that, Jonathan. Number one is Jeff Bezos coined the term one-way um, um, uh, decisions or uh, two-way decisions, right? So what, if, if you're moving ahead, you need to be very clear in which decisions that you're taking could be reversed and which decisions are not reversible, right? So what you want to do in a corporate context, you give the teams the um, uh, freedom, you empower them to do the reversible decisions, right the two-way door decisions right yeah. but you want to be as a governance board be very much involved and you want to have the data from the experiments that show you clearly uh, what to do in when it comes to one-way door uh, decisions and the second is um, um jonathan there's also a scientific theory behind why this is the best approach I mean, so many people say, well, the lean startup that basically came out of nowhere, right? There was Steve Blank, Stanford University, four steps to epiphany, customer development. And then his students, Eric Ries said, well, we can apply the same principle to build products. And that was the lean startup. But actually in the 90s, there was a scientific study um, commissioned by IBM. And there were dozens, dozens really of, of scientists involved from all angles in here and the headline question was what is the best approach to move to progress in different environmental situations right and it turns out that for instance the day-to-day business that the companies are in these are kind of simple situations right you know if you hit that button then the light bulb goes on at the other corner of the room right and hence that process driven execution of a a proven success recipe if you will right that's the right way to move ahead and make progress in that situation however if you're trying to find new value pools if you're trying to find um, um, new business models you're in an environment that you cannot even grasp. You do not know the knowns and the unknowns out there and what else is there. And hence the so-called Sinefin framework that was uh, coming out of that IBM study clearly says that this kind of effectuation or that build, test, measure, learn, repeat or agile or whatever you want to call it, that's the best way, the most effective way to, to move ahead in these kind of situations. Yeah, yeah. I think the the um, Sinefin or Kinevin or whatever, however it's, <laughs> it's pronounced, um, <laughs> is yeah. It's a, it's a it's a very um, interesting approach. And what I like about it is <clears throat> this idea that you have to recognize in which space you are. So, um, if I recall, they 
they'll basically identify four different types of of uh, situations if they're complex or it always changes so i don't quite remember now exactly chaotic complex complicated something like this yeah yeah yeah, exactly and um and 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 so for instance i think they recommend that an agile type approach you would do in what they call um kind of an in-between space a liminal space or something in between two uh and and so the idea is that you 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 you'll, if you identify where you're at in in this space, you will use a a, a different kind of technique. And I have to say, I, I I find that quite an interesting idea. And um, yeah, uh, I don't really know where I was going with that. But anyway, that's uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, if you're if you're a car maker, Jonathan, right, and yeah have those cars then come up the, down the production line, right? You don't do the build, test, measure, learn kind yeah. of stuff, right? You have your Six Sigma quality system and everything is set up so that you can liver, uh, deliver that kind of quality that is asked for. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think one one really... more the difference between those two systems that we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. I think this also goes back to the thing you mentioned very in the beginning. It's just, it's, you <clears> cannot <throat> apply the same kind of KPIs or measures or however, I mean, progress just looks different. I mean, in in this more red space, let's say, where you know where you are, it's it that's you know what what it, like efficiency is key, and you know how you can measure this. In the other part, it's not that clear. It's not even that clear if efficiency is a value in itself. So it's different kinds of 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 ways you basically need to measure it. But but how can you then? I mean, in okay, chaotic new situation, different kind of approach but what any is are some of the methodology elements let's say that you can follow i mean you still you need kind of a process still you need kind of a way of to approach this and 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 how does that connect to the overall lean scale up uh, uh, thing so if you could go into a little bit more this this approach because maybe a second question in between is one thing is leadership one thing is people but it's also a problem to where's the opportunity just in how do you find really the opportunity in a there is money there, I agree, but where's the opportunity really? I think that is also a question that kind of needs to be answered, right? Well, no, these were a couple of, of aspects. Yeah. <laughs> let's let, let's take them one by one. I mean, um, uh, if 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 we put ourselves into the helicopter and look at what's going on in these two systems, right? Um, you mentioned the red shirt system, right? The people in the day-to-day business uh, working in red oceans, right? Battling with the usual suspects for every um, euro in revenues and every cent in margin, right? And the other one, we call them the blue shirts, right? <laughs> because they're looking the red the shirts blue. and the blue shirts. So if we get into the helicopter and look at these two um, fractions, the red shirts and the blue shirts operating, there's a fundamental difference between those two, and, and it's more than just semantics. Uh, the blue shirts, they are operating in a world of uncertainty. Whereas the red shirts, they are working in a kind of world that is predictable, or at least has has risks that you can quantify and uh, um, 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 uh, range yourself in, in a way that you can basically eliminate or minimize these kind of risks, if you will. Right? But there's a fundamental difference between uncertainty and risk. Uncertainty means you don't know what you're dealing with. Right? Yeah. 
And hence, you need to systematically reduce this uncertainty, systematically look for what is our biggest assumption and how could we validate or falsify that assumption. Right? This is really a scientific progress. And I think that's also one, one um, um, aspect that is, is coming much too short when I visit companies and I'm dealing with the red shirts and the blue shirts and, and typically the red shirts that fund that blue shirt party, right, by the way, right? Yeah, which they, doesn't help in the relationship, but... <laughs> they, they think it's chaotic, but if you do it right, it's it's not chaotic at all, It's right? It's scientific exploration. It's like Thomas Alpha Edison had his 10,000 experiments before he created the light bulb, right? And you all know that famous quote, I discovered one more way that doesn't work, right? And at the end, he found the source that helped to create General Electric out of that, right? We know that story, right? So it's it's the systematic reduction of uncertainty. And hence, it's, it's one of the biggest mistakes that you can do. Come up with a business plan, the Excel sheet, right? And and. You find the numbers, and typically you find the hockey sticks, right? Next one to two years would be <laughs> tough. In five years, we will be filthy yeah. rich, etc. Because what what these kind of Excel diagrams do not show is 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 the set of assumptions that that is behind that. Yeah. And actually, I mean, when when I'm working with uh, stakeholders of corporate uh, startups or scale ups when they enter the scaling up phase. I recommend to put them under extreme time pressure and also to underfund them. So the team comes up to the stakeholder says, well, we looked at it and for the next nine months, we need 2.5 million, right? Because we need to do this. And and we need please. To do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so I would recommend my stakeholders to say, well, give them seven months and give them 80% of what they asked for. Ooh. Why? Focus, focus, focus. It really it urges, it, it recommends, it requires or whatever word you want to use the team to say, what is the most critical assumption that we need to look at it, right? And then you basically set up your experiment and then you let the data speak, right? And then that's that's a kind of mindset and obviously depends on the corporate culture if you want to follow that recommendation or not right no but i i love this i mean this is also i mean this is also you as a as a person have this mindset like this this heavy heavy focus and which really helps because because companies well it's just it's very natural i think in this uncertain space in this innovation space it, you can get lost in a thousand different options. There's so many things that you can find out and look at, and it's never a shortage of ideas or things we could also have a look at. But really, this 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 insistence on focus, I I I really like this about the approach, and I must say. And maybe the second second thing to add is I also really like the way you use the word experiment. So the systematic reduction of uh, assumptions or of risks, let's say. And and I think the the word experiment gets a wrong gets a bad treat in the innovation space where it's rather associated with experiments are well let's do this let's do that and see what happens and maybe something works and maybe something doesn't and so it has this play but I don't think that that that's not what an experiment is an experiment nope. is a very controlled thing you know exactly kind of what you're testing against and then you're testing exactly for that effect so I like this 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 scientific mindset if you or even wording that you that you bring to it where because it's not it's it's not about having fun let's say well it's yeah. okay if it is fun but in the end it's about 
like where do the returns from tomorrow come from and that's a different kind of question than just exploring some some kind of so 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 uh, yeah i want to just just to add this i really like this mm -hmm. yeah and uh, in, in the upcoming book Jan, there's also a case study that's corporate startup of a very large um, container shipping company right and uh, the team there, the blue shirts, if you will, they were dabbling around for a couple of years and they did this and uh, explored that, exactly. and <laughs> et cetera. But then after four years, uh, they, their governance board said, guys, we will control alt delete, right? We will now set you on this target segment where we're not good at and try to find a business model. What we bring to the table is extensive as access to our corporate assets and capabilities. Yeah. But in turn, we require from you to steer clear of all the other opportunities. And the CEO of that startup said, that was kind of really opened up the door and, and freed us from, from uh, limitless uh, degrees of freedom and focus, focus, focus on, on just one thing. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, there, there's one more thing, Jan, into that. Where, 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 so first of all, it's the right understanding of experiments. But the second big question comes along with that immediately is when do you stop experimenting? So you run your experiments, you collect the data, and it looks promising and, and that kind of stuff. So when do you basically put the check mark on and say, okay, now we can move on, right? We've tested that there's a real customer problem and there's willingness to pay right and we think that a freemium model when um, just an example obviously what we're discussing yeah. would be the right way to go and we also identified the price point now let's work on the go-to-market strategy so what when exactly is that point yeah and here's an interesting also observation that i made along the way and, and it, it circulates around the, the term learning the typical blue shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt right now. <laughs> On brand. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot see, but it's true. I'm wearing a blue, blue shirt. Right. And it's also, I, I think, uh, the, 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 the task of the blue shirts to nudge the red shirts to get the system right so that innovation can scale in, in, the, in that company, right? By definition, by the setup, the company is not set up for innovation to scale Right? It's set up for relentless execution of that proven business model, etc. But coming back to the point that I just wanted to make is when do you had uh, did enough experimenting? And the answer to that centers around the word learning, and uh, which ties into that uncertainty discussion we had a few minutes ago. You 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 know that you have learned enough. In other words, you can stop experimenting. Take this as a foundation, build your house on, move on, etc. When you can predict the outcomes of experiments, right? When you basically have, in other words, enough insight, then you say, okay, if I put an A-B test up, right, and I'm looking for consumers to take the left door or the right door, I predict that 66%, two-thirds will take the left door. Right, so it's it's if it's sixty five or sixty seven, that's that's not the real deal, right? But when you can make these kind of claims in advance, you learned enough to put the bits and pieces that make up the business model and the operating model and the people that you need and the organization that you need to build and the products you need, etc. Strong enough, 
So uh, actually, and I'm just yeah. using that example, Jan, to show that there is a really um, a body of uh, knowledge emerging on how companies can crack uh, the code and, and beat the odds. We haven't spoken about the odds, right? If, if you were a corporate practitioner, right, and you launch a corporate startup today, how high is the chance that you get a $50 million business annual revenue? I know it, it it's terrible. It's terribly it's, low. It's it's 3%. Yeah. 3%. So that means 29 out of 30 corporate startups will fail, right? And you yeah. arrive at that figure if you basically multiply certain stats that are out there and delivered by large consulting companies. So okay. I think we can work with these figures. Yeah. I have a question and I'll I hope I can frame it uh, correctly. Basically, I kind of wonder what is, how should the role of the the corporate entity be different to, say, an investor or venture capitalist with regards to these companies inside? Because one thing I always wondered is, if you look at this as a portfolio kind of approach and you say, okay, I have this team developing this, this team developing this. As you said at the beginning, I mean, there are many smart people all over and most of them are probably not in your company. So if there must be some difference in between, let's say, a venture capital firm and the role that the corporate company plays, because otherwise you might argue that really what a company should do is in fact just have existing businesses and and look around like a venture capitalist and find new companies and buy them. Now, of course, many companies also do that, such as Facebook, et cetera. I mean, a lot of companies buying other companies, but companies also do innovate within themselves, within the company itself. And I I kind of wonder why, how is that different? I mean, why is it an advantage to innovate within your company at all? First of, all, first of all, it's a pure necessity, right? So if you're a horse carriage maker, right? There are only so many in the world today, right? Because at some point, the consumer said, well, we'd like to have the things that they called automobiles, right? We're not so much into horse carriages anymore, right? So the world is changing. Um, think about um, technological changes, chat GPT as one example. Um, digital uh, helps companies to 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 blur industry uh, historic industry boundaries, right? And uh, you find that so suddenly an insurance company is battling as a as a player in the IoT market, Unigree uh, and some acquisitions that they made, etc. So the world is shape shifting, and uh, um, if you look at um, studies done by BCG and Bain, also they looked at volatility indexes right so if you just look at if you try to quantify volatility you find that this index is um, growing steadily so it's a matter of survival to to um, test um, um, what, what is possible and to build new businesses that play into a changing environment so, the, Jonathan, the, the the big point is that, or the big difference between a corporate investor and a, um, a kind of external VC is 
that the company in its decades or centuries of existence has built up uh, corporate assets and capabilities, right? And um, at the very superficial level, you can count customers, brand name, channels, um, um, partners, um, tons of experts, etc. onto that. In the book, you will find a checklist because, for instance, uh, another asset is uh, operational data that you can use to train AI models. Right? And uh, if you're a greenfield startup, if you and I would set up a uh, startup, we don't have that real-life transactional data in here. So that's one of the difference. What I envision or what I advise my clients is also to take a portfolio approach, right? To, to say, well, we can debate behind our desks, behind our computer screens in virtual conferences for days and weeks if this is a good idea or as if it's not a good uh, idea. It turns out nobody can pick up, pick the winners, but you can nail down, as we discussed earlier, the most critical, the most crucial assumptions. And then we put it to the test. And then uh, reciting Jeff Bezos again, he once said, I'm not the master decision maker at Amazon. I encourage people to come up with effective, cheap, rapid experiments. And then we let the data speak. Then we look at what the data tells us uh, about the nature of the world outside. But there are similarities in here between a VC approach and a corporate investor approach. There are also peculiarities in here, right? So as a, um, a corporate investor, as a corporate business builder, you would always look at that transformational element, right? Whereas and if you're looking at the um, um, Greenfield uh, VC situation, well, you would play a valuation game, building up valuation, and uh, you would um, acquire other companies, you would pivot as long as it makes sense. So there's an overlap. It's a Venn diagram, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. So what, I, what I'm hearing is that um, the... Uh, so, so let's say um, corporate startups, let's to, to call them something, will have an unfair advantage relative to a greenfield startup uh, if uh, because they have access to um assets and knowledge that uh, that maybe others wouldn't have access to is uh, i guess that's um, yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah but but there's a dirty little secret uh, jonathan <laughs> they have a theoretical unfair advantage See, this, the, the, the dirty little secret is that you do have those assets and capabilities, but that they are right-sized for the day-to-day business, and their access is controlled so that it makes sense in that process-driven, short-term day-to-day business. So if a company does not solve that, if we do not build up that um, gearbox with leadership and, 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 and methodology process and people culture collaboration in place, they do not have that advantage. So they might lose out on the theoretical side, being bogged down by corporate bureaucracy while still fighting outside in the marketplace against greenfield startups, VC-backed greenfield startups, and corporate startups from the usual suspects, the competitors, so in essence, as Steve Blank has called it, they fight a two-front war, right? The internal plus the external. Yeah. 
So this is really make or break to get that system solution in place that connects the red shirt system and the blue shirt system. Yeah. Like there is a natural tendency between the two. There is just, I mean, it's probably the, 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 the blue shirt, no, the red shirts are, are quite protective of, of what they have and the assets that they have. And that's a, that's a cultural shift, mindset shift, all that kind of stuff to just, well, enable the blue shirts to be, to be successful as well. I think that is kind of, or, it needs to somehow you need to manage that 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 kind of relationship exactly and that, this is where the leadership part kicks in as we discussed yeah. earlier exactly this is the pain point where it works right this is where you need to leadership support to balance the now and the new yeah yeah is there also uh, sorry scott do you want to yeah I, I don't know if it's fault goes in with the flow i tell you the question that just i mean it just makes complete sense to me the blue system the red system in fact i even like the i like the clarity of those teams and the shirts so maybe you can even have identities i'm, I'm a fan of blue ocean strategy so i, I like i like the clarity of that it makes our makes conversation very efficient the, the thing that i wonder about I, I find myself just thinking through real clients that i've met with and you met with the leadership and uh, so many of these conversations are very identical from what they say and this is what they say they say, well, everything we make, it's all incremental. And, you know, we, we can't seem to, we can't seem to make, you know, we can't seem to anticipate big changes and, um, you know, we're fighting for our life and we're worried about a recession. And you know, in other words, all their concerns are very uh, red shirtish, if you will. Their, their concerns are the next six months to a year, but they're, they, but to a person, almost everyone complains, <laughs> About um, about being too incremental, and also about wow, it just takes us too long to build new products. So they sort of have this very common list of suggestions. So, so where, where my brain is, and I know the things that I've sort of said to them, but like just real practically <clears throat> and tactically, what's what's our if we want to to bring in a um a blue shirt team or, or approach, you know. What's what does our next year look like for that leader for that leader that wants to wants to sort of get off this incremental uh, uh, hamster wheel? Mm. As, as, as Scott, there there's a um, sub question in here which which is very fun, uh, foundational to, to to address. The question is how far do you want to jump? Mm. Right. Yeah. So if you imagine that you would draw up a portfolio, right? On the one axis, you put customer's business model right let's imagine that's the x-axis right and on the y-axis you put um, technologies and compatible um, capabilities right and you cut both axes into existent we know that stuff adjacent or far out right so if you're in that segment with far out technologies far out capabilities new customers new business models the question is really how, how good can you dock this to the existing core? And that might be really a stretch, even if a leader is fully aware to take his organization along. Uh, Mr. Fujifilm could do it because he was on a burning platform, right? He said, guys, if we do not do that in 10 years, our story is over, right? We need to run. We need to run fast, right? Most of the clients that I work with, and I assume also, Scott, your clients, they're not on the burning platform. 
yes, the environment is changing. Hmm, could be that digital plays a new role in 10 years, but 10 years is far out. These kind of thoughts in here, right? So <clears throat> if you want to dock this, um, it's, 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 it's kind of hard. Let me also give you a practical example. We, I spoke about that net tech company a few minutes ago, right? So <clears throat> diagnostics as a service, and they had half a dozen or so corporate startups, right? And every single corporate startup ran against the same brick wall. And they were wondering why they did not make any progress in these new business models. So what was the brick wall? Well, the, the accounting procedures and also the accounting systems that the company was using, the accounting philosophies, if you will, right? That was all about shipping boxes, creating products, shipping boxes, get the money, get the revenue per box shipped. Send the bill, get the money. Exactly. <laughs> And now you come along, Scott, and you say, well, we need to have a service subscription-based business model. They were not able to process that, right? Yeah. And if you, if you then speak with, the, um, with these uh, senior leaders in the financial and in the controlling areas, well, they need to convince the um, uh, shareholders that the revenue will not be growing. There will be a dip, right? because that's how things materialize. And at the end of the tunnel, you will have customer lock-in and steady revenues, uh, et cetera, coming, coming in here. So <clears throat> that was kind of basically really one example where, where it's really hard to see how these things can be docking, uh, can be docked. Uh, what, what I see also in the um, current economic climate is that the appetite to take big jumps is um is decreasing right it's rather play it safe right it's it's if we come back to that portfolio maybe uh, try to win an adjacent customer um category or use a new business model that acts as a service kind of thing for existing customers and use technologies that are close to what the company already owns right to make it easier in here right so it's what I, what I see is a refocusing of the blue shirt teams that that you were asking for. If yeah. I could re, if I could just sort of paraphrase some of that back, the sort of notes I wrote down. One, so if we if if we're meeting with executive described incrementalism, et cetera, as I mentioned. So the first question we want to ask them, all right, for for our blue shirt strategy, what's this time frame? Is it is it we want to get beyond six months? Great, but is it two years, five years, ten years, something longer? That's one thing. You mentioned tying it uh, to how can we tie our strategy to our current capabilities? And then you came back around to that. What, what I imagine is you mentioned this adjacency strategy. You know, how can the you know, how can we manage the risk? You know, how can we take one step and not just jump, not just, you know, you know, for buildings, for building wings and we're going to just hang gliding thing instead of just jumping off the mountain. Maybe we maybe we jump five feet or something first. So, so pursuing an adjacency strategy, um, and you mentioned staying close to the technology, but I imagine that could also apply to uh, distribution, what, where your brand plays, the distribution channels you have. That you know that also might be, but but some basis of of keeping some linkage to your strengths. Um, 
And then the other thing you mentioned is like, what are the incentives? You know, I, that might have been my word, so I might have been paraphrasing there. But you mentioned the financial, you know, how how it's how we measure success if it's completely measured in units shipped, or if it's completely me measured in return on assets or something. We probably need some different metrics for our blue our blue audience. Yes. And then I love this last one, uh, just setting expectations, and that probably follows along with that incentives. That yeah, our return on assets for this blue business is it's not the way to measure it for now. How how, how well did I do uh, with our with my summary <laughs> of that? For what we're going to do well, for our next year? Very well, you're the lean scale up of today, right? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But Scott, there's one more thing: um, a practical yeah. project experience. Yeah. So here's a truck company, right? One of uh -huh. the biggest globally, right? And they're currently, these are public figures, pulling in some 21% in service revenues, right? Which is predominantly coming from financial services, right? If you want to buy a car, you get it financed or get it leased yeah. or whatever, right? And they want to extend that service portion of their business to more than 50%. So basically also turning from a product company into a service company, if you will, right? So this is eight years out, right? That 50% plus goal. Guess how much happens in advancing to that goal. And it's not that they are short of ideas, right? They've got also the innovation labs somewhere in Europe and then also in Silicon Valley. And they've got three or four of the things, corporate startups that could be turned into corporate scale-ups but the company does not have anything set up, structure, funding, governance to, to enable that scaling up. So the answer to my rhetorical question a minute ago was zero. Yeah. Why? Because these long-term goals, these eight-year goals, do not fit with the Red Shirts horizons, the Red Shirts planning systems, the Red Shirts Mind systems, hey, they do not even fit with the senior management tenure, right? After two, three years, typically people change their job, isn't it, right? Yeah. So the art is in here, and this uh, reinforces the points that you made, is to break down <clears throat> this eight-year journey into pieces that are digestible from the Richard system, right? Say 12 to 18 months or so. You roadmap yourself into that future and the roadmap could be on the channels could be on the technology could be on the customer groups and this is how you then work in that blue shirt transformation goals into the red shirt um, target system yeah i think that's also a point why i i so like that that you need to establish <clears throat> a process you need to have a process and a system mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. people come and go but establishing a system that really then kind of runs that is, I think that is absolutely key because because if you don't have that and the people change, that is something we experience quite often. There's great idea, a couple of people pushed it, they get an offer or a frustration or whatever, they change and poof. Exactly. The great, the great bet that we wanted to bet to kind of build our future on out the window as well. And that's and that's just a shame. So so I think that's why yeah. such a process is so important. You need to bake it into the system, as I like to say. Yeah. Right? And also, Jan, even if the people stay the same, you have two bad quarters. That's that true. <laughs> that changes yeah. how people look at it. So you yeah, need to bake true. it into the system, right? Earmarked funding and that kind of stuff.
there's one thing I want to I want to dive into because you you mentioned it now twice kind of in a in a in a, in a what is Nebensatz uh, well like like a tiny sentence uh, on the side where you say well there is never a sh shortage of ideas and and there is I mean I stole a couple of the things that how you talk about things but but one of the most important things I think I think that you that you bring to the table is the distinction between ideas that can be good can be bad and meaningful ideas. So if you could talk a little bit about what 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 a meaningful idea is, how why is it so difficult to have one? I mean, I completely agree with the diagnostics. Let's say, like, the, the, I've yet to meet a company that doesn't have any ideas. Usually, that is, and that's a problem you can solve easily. And you can sit down, you can write down a hundred ideas. There you go. But now what? Like what? So so how do you move from from this 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 ocean of ideas, many ideas, to to something like a meaningful idea? And what and what is it? <clears throat> you should know that Jan, we had a webinar. I know that's a. Really <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, you probably know Wayne Gretzky, right? Probably the best um, ice hockey player ever, um, who ever uh, did the yeah. sport on the planet. And when when Gretzky was asked uh, what, what's the source of your um, of your of your success, he said, "Well, I'm not skating to the, where the puck is. I'm skating where the puck will going to be." Right, and it's the same uh, in, in, in innovation and in business building. Right, we are shooting on a moving target. Right, so it will take us two, three, five years to yeah. realize what we are up to, right? And in two, three, five years, the company will be different. The environment will be different. So this is what you need to be um, considering. How does what we are doing relate to the trajectory that the company is going to, right? Yeah. And so an idea is not just a fancy idea. It also needs to fit to the trajectory where the company would like to be in three to five years, right? Yeah. So maybe this, uh, so at one point, I mean, we are here all in this jobs to be done world and that's how we connected. Mm -hmm. Where does the customer kind of come in? At what point do you need to validate with the customer? Or maybe you can you can go into that a little bit before we, before we kind of find our way to another topic. <clears throat> when we look at uh, what, what happens before scaling, uh, Jan, the lean scale up tells you, well, First, you need to look, is it worthy to be scaled? Should we even think about it, right? Company trajectory fit and a lot of other things that are, need to be taken care of. And if it is worthy, is it ready to be scaled in here? In the first step, you do experiments with the market. In the second stage, you do experiments in market. So experiments with markets would be, for instance, that kind of um, a B test or the uh, smoke smoke door tests that you're doing or the Wizard of Oz experiments, right? Where you collect the data that tell you, well, there might be something good out there, right? And then <clears throat> the second stage, when you do the experiments in market, you try to um, tweak and optimize your go-to-market approach, etc. And the uh, the thing that you start with is what I call a burning hair problem. So you have a customer who really has a problem, not just 
we should have, or that's an interesting option, or these kind of stuff, right? If I don't act, if I don't act now, if I don't act um, um, with with determination, right? Further down the road, I might be going out of business. Yeah. And finding that burning hair problem is where I see the jobs to be done to be of extremely valuable help out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's this finding this point. I think it's finding this match of where does the company want to go? Like, what are, what can we do? Where do we want to go? And then also, where where is the customer? Like, where where does it really hurt the customer? And if you find that kind of golden match, that's that's mm. that's pretty good already as a start point to maybe, okay, there is something that that's worthy to be scaled. Yeah. It even makes yeah. sense then to go for, to maybe raise that limitation on budget a little bit, right? <laughs> so something like, like that. Okay. So um, I want to maybe for, 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 so I think you made a distinction there that, that I just want to get into a little bit more in detail is this, is the distinction between, well, there is pre-scaling and then, the, and then there's scaling. So there's, you cannot just go in, have an idea and scale. So if you could maybe talk about these different steps and what it takes and how do you evaluate kind of progress of an, of an idea so that, so that at one point we, we actually can scale it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so first of all, I mean, if, if we, it, it, maybe it helps to think about um, people first, right? And it turns out if we look at the end-to-end -end journey, which starts with meaningful search fields, where you find oceans of ideas and hopefully three or four meaningful ideas in the year. And then you go through the validation, collecting the proof points. And once you find that you tick all the boxes, right? You delivered all of the proof points. You might say, <clears throat> now let's make it big, right? Let's make uh, invest a couple of millions in here and let's uh, really create a uh, sizable, uh, sustainable equals profitable business out of that. So it turns out you need to have three different sorts of people. And the first step in the search field to the meaningful idea, right? You need ethnographic um, 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 people. So if we look at it, Jan, we, we need three different uh, types of people. In the first step, uh, meaning the search field to a meaningful idea, you need the ethnographs, right? The fly on the wall, right? That yeah. watches people. Try to elicit what what the, the jobs to be done and uh, the um, how they measure the um, the um, importance and the fulfillment and and really it's 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 observation it's 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 um, uh, getting the essence out of that without primarily the interviews because we all know say and do there's a chasm in between right. And the second step, when you collect the proof points for, for a meaningful idea, you need to have scientific scientists in here, right? With the uh, scientific approach that we spoke about earlier, right? So what are the biggest assumptions? How can I test them? How can I validate them or falsify them? What do the data tell me in here? Yeah. And scaling up <clears throat> is, is a third um, type of people, right? You cannot win the scaling up with ethnographs or with that scientific mindset. The scaling up is about um, building a parachute as you fall down, right? Yes. <laughs> one, one, one of my clients, a leader of a corporate scale-up, once said to me, Frank, <clears throat> scaling up is as easy as riding a bicycle. 
And I looked at him, said, what are you talking about? And then he continued, but you, you have to know the bicycle is burning and everything else is burning as well. Right? <laughs> it's really Super like... easy, basically. <laughs> and you try to, to stay alive, so to say, right? So you need to basically people that enjoy the action, getting things done and um, learning stuff and, and improving the... Uh, um, uh, the um, go-to-market approaches and uh, basically getting closer as as the scale-up grows to a kind of redshirt system where you have processes, where you have systems, where you have people that know how to run that stuff. But you don't want to lose that startup spirit, right? Because yeah. your journey does not end when you crack the first 10 millions of annual in revenue, right? There might be something bigger out there. And so how do you measure progress? I think in, in the first step, you use um, uh, what we call the meaningful idea canvas, right? Yeah. Which consolidates um, crucial elements of the jobs to be done methodology with that corporate context and the perspective that is out there. So yeah. does it fit to the trajectory in here? An initial view on the competition, et cetera and um, a sizable market that you're envisioning that kind of stuff in here, right? Yeah. When the next step, when you do collect the proof points, well, it turns out, luckily for the corporate practitioner, that there is a body of knowledge emerging. And what you could do is you basically could um, lay out the scope of what you need to validate and put this over time in maturity stages, right? And if you're thinking even more advanced, as some of my clients have been done, they set up a business graduation scheme that starts with a meaningful search field, goes through the uh, maturity stages over the um, in the validation, and then continues in scaling up. And there are some principles like metered funding, like lean governance, that really trigger that kind of entrepreneurial thinking. Now, what you do in the validation, if you have that four tracks, the scope, the content of the validation, and the four maturity stages is you define deliverables in here. Mm. And to make it very clear what the deliverable will be, you say, these are the thinking tools you need to use, the canvases, the checklists, etc. you name it, to demonstrate that you've actually did your homework and then you can put a green light on that bubble in here. So what you end up with is a kind of scorecard that will show you, well, this has been validated. And here are leaps of faith that you take. And to complete the picture, what you do then with um, um, uh, with, with the people, with the team is you have an in-company but team external kind of auditor, if you will, that looks at the proof points that the team has provided and he or she will then say the traffic light is amber or the traffic light is green. So yeah. this is how you can build up the progress monitoring in the pre-scaling phase. And then you go on in the scaling phase with defining adequate milestones as well. Yeah. that I mean, that's maybe that's just me. But when I, I saw you showing that scorecard in a, in a talk that you gave, I knew I need to speak to that guy. Like that's, that's I, I looked at it and I realized, okay, that's exactly how you should do it. That's exactly how you should do it. And you you did all the necessary work of there's a tech problem, there's a customer problem, there's a business model, like, and then there is a toolbox that you have in 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 your approach 
for all of these different steps. And and it's 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 doable. It's hard work, but it's doable. But it so increases the chances from these three percent. I mean, which is basically not a chance at all. And that's just what it takes. So so that's really what I encourage people to do. Go to the, it's www.leanscaleup.com, uh, I think, where you can also find out more about Frank, about the book. Uh, and I think you can sign up still, right? To, to collaborate yeah. on the yes. second yeah. edition. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, there is also these these beautiful roundtables, I think, right? So for practitioners where you can basically get people together, do those roundtables. Um, where else? Where else can they people find out more about you or about the Lean Scale Up approach? Yeah, uh, so for instance, beginning of May, uh, I will be in Innovators Lisbon. And uh, in June, I guess, I will be at the Innovators in Amsterdam conference. So let's meet uh, one of those conferences. But I think the easiest way are these roundtables that Jan just mentioned. Uh, see, the problem, Jan, that we are addressing is, as we speak right now, there's not a textbook solution for corporate new business building, right? There's an emerging practice, I would call, which is codified in the Lean Scale-Up framework. But there are so many aspects in here where, where people feel, practitioners feel the pain, where they really appreciate the opportunity to have a platform to speak with their peers about specific issues. Like, for instance, we touched upon the aligning now and new in the beginning of our conversation. So how could I nudge my C-suite to take action in here? That's a, a pain, right? Yeah. And it, it helps people from really great companies. Uh, I remember Roche. I remember SAP. I remember ABB in, last, in the last roundtable to exchange views, to, to, to put their ideas to the test and um, learn what works and what doesn't in these kinds of settings. So this is not a webinar. But it's a, it's a discussion forum, right? A discussion started 10 minutes, and then it's peer-to-peer -peer discussion. So go to leanscaleup.com, right? And there you'll find a link to the roundtables. Sign up. That's free without any obligation. Perfect. Thank you so much, Frank. Anything else you want to kind of, any other message you want to send out to the people out there? Happy that you reached out after you. <laughs> all right so and that concludes today's product quest podcast please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com and of course see you next time blue shirts and the red shirts they never okay. they're always you're the blue fighting above. thanks oh, frank well, it was a great show well,